The thing with me is, is that I am very proud to be Indian. I'm very proud to be a South Asian girl. I'm very proud to, to practice the religion that I practice as well. That doesn't mean to say that the world is really problematic and very patriarchal and very misogynistic. So I think when I was writing Om Shanti, I wrote it as a comedy. So it was a comedy piece of writing. And it was one of those pieces where you'd go, ha ha ha, that's really funny. <laughs> but oh wait, that's really problematic. And personally, I think there's something about in play reading group as well. I think I've mentioned that sometimes when you write things that are very deeply problematic, but you write it as a comedy, it lands in a very different way. People mm. are like, ha, 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 oh dear, no, that is so bad. And I'm laughing at that. <laughs> I feel like it triggers a slightly different sense of reflection on something. I Which think. is a talent to have as a writer, I think. That's good <laughs> yeah, skill. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think it's definitely a skill. And I think some writers do it absolutely brilliantly. So I think when I was writing it, I wanted to write a confident girl who was all of the stereotypes. She was very good at her studies. She goes to the temple. <laughs> she's very obedient. She comes home when her parents tell her to come home, but she has a boyfriend, but she has had sex with her boyfriend before marriage, even though she's been told that. But the whole piece is about how she thinks that God is punishing her yeah. because she's come on her period. And she explores how misogynistic that understanding is of Hinduism. It's not because I did so much research uh, when I wrote this piece. And actually it's been completely twisted by men. When you look at temples, when you look at other religious places, women don't lead those spaces. It's all men. It's men who are the head priests or the head whatever. There's no women in these spaces. And I think for centuries, and we know this, men are absolutely terrified of women. They are terrified of the fact that we have periods and we carry the next generation of people. We take their seed forward in life without <laughs> us. There isn't, and you know, from this all the way, I did I did a production of The Crucible with Ingenium and I read so much history about the Salem witch trials and what all that was and Joan of Arc and all of this stuff as well. So I I think when I, re when I started to write Om Shanti, I almost wanted to write it very unapologetically. I didn't, I wasn't worried about how people were going to respond as long as I stayed authentic to experience. So everything I wrote in that was very authentic to different women and different experiences that they've had. And after the show, lots of women, I had a Vietnamese woman, a Nigerian woman, an Irish woman from so many different backgrounds just come up to me and say, this has been my experience, this has been my experiences, and we all have this in common. Women share this commonality mm. of how religion or cultures or structures really want to keep us down. And I think the world is terrified of women uniting. Hello everyone and welcome to Chai with Rai. Hi, I'm your host Rai and I am back with another delicious and juicy episode. Also, if you haven't done so, make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. If you love this podcast and are listening to this on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Audible or wherever you stream your podcast from, if you could do me a kind favor and make sure to rate the podcast on whichever platform you're listening it on. It organically grows the show, connects us with listeners who haven't tuned in before and puts the podcast in top spaces for all the streaming sites. As well, feel free to, and I encourage you to tag us whilst you listen to this on the TikToks, the Twitters, the Flitters, the Grams and the Pinterest. It's back, y'all. I'm just saying, what are we next? MySpace, what is happening? And as I always say, just, you know, overall share the love. 
So let's warm up our cuppas and let's dive into today's episode. But before we do, I'm going to play a little bit of a song that gives you the name of our guest. Now, I was scrolling through old Bollywood songs and I found this and I sent this to my guest and they couldn't stop cracking up. So I'm going to do the same for you. Natasha 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 And if you didn't guess so today we have the multi-talented the amazing the beautiful somebody whose hair is giving me such envy right now and makes me want to grow my curls back Natasha Natasha Gatti Chandra <laughs> I'm just going to get straight into it. Before we start the interview, I like to do a little bit of a game. The game is called 5 second rule. So basically, you have 5 seconds to list, name or sing three things. So if I was to be like list three fruits in 5 seconds, I'll start doing this and you have 5 seconds to list three things. Oh my god, pressure. Okay. You got this. You got this. First question, we'll do this as a trial. List three cleaning products every household should have in 5 seconds go um uh, mr muscle mold remover method shower stuff and sif <laughs> you didn't want the three oh <laughs> you didn't want okay. the good good breathe breathe <laughs> okay you did a beautiful cover of mm-hmm. oh we can hear it now honesty uh less be more kind to each other and oh my god this is more than five Wait, honesty things. less and what was it be kind no i three three things that my family should rise up for without the time pressure being more honest <laughs> yeah. just like not giving a shit about what society thinks of you got it right for being a south asian family um <laughs> letting letting their young women which i think my family has rise up for but just letting the women of their family be who they are and yeah. who they want to be and not be defined by being married or having a husband or having children and the third thing is eating better <laughs> and not like managing health stuff a bit better perhaps <laughs> that, i feel like that's a lot of families all right your last two questions Your second semi last question is you wrote and directed this play called Om Shanti Fuck if I correct yes yes um as part of a double bill night you got to perform it at Battersea Art Center Camden People's Theater just two of the venues there was one more if I'm correct in saying right the Arcola that's it that's it and the play depicts Ambika who finds herself in a bloody embarrassing hell when she gets up to find she's left a period stain on the carpet in a sacred hindu temple so dum 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 with that mm-hmm. in mind and challenging the narrative list three positive things about having a period go 
Um, the ability to have children, to bear children, to make excuses to sleep all day sometimes and to eat ice cream. <laughs> that was more than five seconds. That's okay. There you go. We're changing the narrative. It needs to be changed. <laughs> hey, I love being a woman. I wouldn't change it for the world. So I'm very proud to have a period. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> there should be a play in that. That could be the title of this of this podcast. I'm proud to have a period. I'm proud to have a period. <laughs> I'm proud to have a period. All right. Last question. You uh, put yourself in this scenario. You're acting now. Imagine just close mm-hmm. your eyes. You're mm-hmm. uh, you you have opened Tara on your own. Forget about oh, the yeah. fire stuff and things like that. Uh, you go to the toilet downstairs and mm-hmm. you hear a sudden banging happening. You're not scared. You're at peace. You're very brave. And mm-hmm. you walk into the costume through those majestic double doors and you find a vessel that says time machine on it and somebody is banging on the door like howlingly and you're like oh fuck let me just open the door so you open the door and three people walk out list those three people in five seconds uh eddie redmayne my best friend from primary school and my best friend from secondary school you move on did i say eddie redmayne you did why eddie redmayne which is what's going to be my because when i was younger i had a huge gigantic crush on Eddie Redmayne ah. um, and I used to think about working in rehearsal rooms with him as one of the actors and me being the director and what that professional relationship could potentially look like and lead to something <laughs> lead else. to of course <laughs> something else well the game is done now so you can breathe but um, I'm going to pretend that I haven't asked you this already and you haven't as well how are you how was your day um, how's your week been? What have you had for breakfast? Because you said you've only had breakfast yet. I am okay. As you know, uh, things are pretty busy in my workplace at the moment, but who isn't busy in the current current climate? I am pretty I'm pretty good because my parents are visiting from India at the moment. So they are currently with me. went to see Silence too, like you said. Yes. So I took them to see Silence at Tara Theatre on Saturday and because my parents are visiting, it means that I had a slightly more exciting breakfast because my mum's cooking. So we had, I don't know how to say, so like an egg. So it's like scrambled egg, but it's like masala scrambled egg. Like oh, Indian okay. scrambled egg where you cut up onions and chilies and stuff and coriander and mix it with the eggs. So it's like egg bujia. Yeah, and yeah. I had that with the chapati this morning. I usually just have like gluten-free muesli or something or a boiled egg. But because my uh, mum's visiting, I had a nice improved breakfast this morning, which is very nice. Are you a breakfast person or not really? Um, not really. I try to eat breakfast sometimes, but I'm not really that hungry in the morning. But mm. I do hear that it's better for your metabolism. So you should try and eat something in the morning. But I usually just have a big cup of decaf coffee in the morning. Oh, you're so. a coffee person. Yeah, I am <laughs> a coffee person. <laughs> How many cafes do you guys have around Thara? You have Costa, you have Starbucks. And then there's that little one opposite. Yeah, we've got Gales as well. Slightly. And then there's one, what's it called? Um, Coffee Nation? I don't know. But no, we've got another really... Yeah, really cute little one just opposite Ellsfield Station, yeah. Well, let's get into deep, meaningful conversations. Uh, Where to start from is where I'm looking at. But I'm just going to start from this. I love talking to people about the accreditations and things like that. And I think you have done a plethora of work that I've been researching. And rather than talk about all of them, which kind of we're going to do, we're going to do them in a specific capacity. So I'm going to name some projects or certain experiences that you've been a part of. And 
and you're going to tell me a challenge and a highlight of working in those projects. So the experiences are The Lion King, the readaptation <laughs> of Lion King that you did. Your company at 17, which I couldn't find the name of for some weird reason. That, mm -hmm. if you could tell the name and that. And then Om Shanti Fuck, Dara currently, East is East, Ingenium, Namaskar, and your talk show in a nutshell, which again, I can't find any videos of, but posters, I can bloody find them everywhere. <laughs> so actually, uh, the name of my company, you just said it. So I founded a theatre company in my home city, my hometown in India, which is Hyderabad. That's mm -hmm. where I grew up. And I founded a youth theatre company that I called Ingenium Dramatics because in, in, in uh, Latin, yeah, in Latin, Ingenium means talent. Yes. And that's why I called it that. And The Lion King was the very first play that I ever directed. Uh, and I was 17 years old. And I'd had a very sort of minor basic experience of directing when I was at school. Um, but this was the first time that I directed something on quite a large scale. Now, when I say large scale, um, in India, theatre, like I think in the UK, we have a sector, we have an industry for theatre. People go into it, it's their job, it's what they do, technical managers, directors, lighting designers, etc. Whereas in India, there's less of an industry for theatre. I think industry, the industry for theatre exists in Mumbai, it exists in maybe small pockets of Bangalore and in Delhi as well. But where I was from in Hyderabad, there wasn't a sector for theatre, it was more working professionals who worked in more conventional jobs did theatre as like a sort of side, like a side practice. Um, so something they would do in the evenings where they'd rehearse after work and things like that, but you didn't have working professionals in theater where that was like their full-time thing that they did. It was just something that they did as a hobby. Um, and I founded my theater company because uh, going to school in India was very challenging for somebody like me. I didn't have a sort of typical brain where I was going to go into doing STEM subjects like science and maths and whatever mm. was a little bit more sought after when you're in a country like India, obviously as a developing country, they want to churn out engineers, they want to turn out doctors, <laughs> they want to churn out computer scientists. Whereas I was an arts and humanities subject. I, I enjoyed English, I enjoyed writing, languages, history. Those were my subjects and those are the subjects I excelled at. Um, so Which I had a really interrupt your teacher who talks about this you say this was it your English teacher or somebody else who says is it you will be greater than all of us you mentioned this in one of your podcasts this which was I my was physics like... teacher yeah it was my physics teacher who said that my physics teacher called Prema ma'am she was the teacher who basically told me that you're going to be better and greater you're clearly destined for better greater things than all of us yeah. just pass your physics exam because you don't have a choice you have to pass your whatever our GCSE equivalents they were they were like equivalent to GCSEs and then you can go off and do whatever you want to do and that is basically what I did and I did pass my physics exam I passed all of my exams actually so you have grading a pretty decent average sorry do you have grading because when I studied in Pakistan we don't have grading as in how they have it here we no. have like first second third things like that yeah we had marks we had you got marked on something so we didn't uh, we didn't when I was in school we didn't have grading uh you'd have you'd be given a score so you'd like score in each out of 80 so it was 80 marks and then 20 of it was kind of extracurricular 
stuff Got you it. did to like project work alongside some of your subjects and then you'd have an overall average so what your average was and then it sat in first second etc oh, etc yep yep yeah so yeah very similar i think pakistan and india in terms of i think they've changed that now i think people are graded now but anyway i don't know i haven't been in school for years thank goodness <laughs> so um and i used to so my mom's family are from here and we'd visit my mom's family every summer or our summer holidays and i would find myself feeling really uh quite jealous and quite disappointed that some of my cousins got to do drama and music and all of these really exciting kind of artistic subjects in school, whereas I didn't have those options in India. I didn't have the option to go into performing arts or write A-levels or take GCSEs and drama and things like that. And that was really quite difficult. I did study music, uh, but that was external to school. I did it kind of externally. I did study music and trained in the piano and trained in singing and things like that. Um, so I founded my theater company with an aim of introducing the performing arts, Western style performing arts, so West End and Broadway style performing arts in my city in Hyderabad to young people who were in school or who were in college. And that was the average age of my company. And that's what we did to our, the first thing I could think of is how do I make this fun? How do I make this exciting for young people? I'm a young person myself. What is my favorite musical? Let's do The Lion King. That's a story that everybody knows. That's a story that's gonna sell out. And it did, we did sell out on that first show, that show that we did, which was great. And also it was a musical. And what did I do? I cast myself and my sisters into lots of the leading parts because we were all trained singers. It was an opportunity for me to find young people who could sing and act. Um, and I led a company, I wanna say my Lion King company was about 30 plus people. So we had a big cast who, and then we had extras because everybody was excited. There was like, somebody's doing the Lion King, someone's doing this on stage, like this isn't something and everybody was excited to do it. We did the music, we did it as a musical show um, and it was great. I suppose, um, so yeah, the highlight of that is, is mobilizing such a large group of young people who were really excited to train, to share, to, to sing, to hang out, to do all of these wonderful things, to act, to get into costume and to just really, you know, learn uh, a lot of things that I had picked up while shadowing my drama teacher at sixth form and things like that or just things that naturally came to me I kind of had ideas and they just kind of it was something I suddenly found I was good at because in school I was told a lot that I wasn't good at anything and I'm never going to what am I going to do in life I was told that a lot in school and then I suddenly found something that I was really good at I could visualize something and then translate exactly what I wanted. And I was putting a show together at age 17. So I wanna say that that was the highlight, mobilizing groups of people, uh, young people who were just really excited to give and to grow and to perform. Um, and I made, you know, the, the, what some of these young people have gone on to do in life is incredible. And a lot of them credit being part of Ingenium and being part of that first show to that. And I'm very proud of that. So opening up opportunities for, for young people in India and in my city to think that they can do something else. They don't have to do STEM subjects. Um, and I think the challenge with The Lion King was I was an amateur. I didn't know, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I, uh, I sort of knew, but I didn't know. I think the challenge was, um, was working out how to be a director, how to be a nurturing director, how to not be too much of a, uh, 
a tyrant in the room as a director. <laughs> so like how to bring out the best in people and make them, you know, not knock their confidence in any way. Mm. And I think as a director, I'm still up to working on what that relationship is with actors. But I think that the biggest challenge was, it was my very first time. I was very young and it was just about working out how to give it, give it my all to the best and how to give everybody a really positive experience on something like this. A little bit of so timeline wise, Namashka was a company that I founded here in 2015. So I'm one of those people where I basically decide in my mind that there's a goal that I need to reach. Mm -hmm. um, so when I, when I stopped doing theater in India and I started doing theater here, um, I found that opportunities were quite hard to come by as assistant director, picking up, just kind of going into directing. It wasn't that easy. So what I did was in true, I would say Natasha style is that I just did it myself. I've, I've always been that person who's like, if no one's giving me an opportunity, I'm just going to create the opportunity for myself. Um, so I found it Namashka because I wanted to write the more I kind of progressed in my career and the more I the older I got I became a little bit more focused on female-led narratives like what those narratives are for women um, and then for South Asian women specifically so how are South Asian women represented on stage mm. but more importantly what is the re representation of South Asian women off stage as well so not just writers not just directors but who is making up teams production teams that put people together to put shows together and that became one of my biggest um goals with Namashka it was about challenging and changing representation of South Asian women on stage what are these subject matters we're talking about what are these topics we're talking about and how are we being represented but then it was also looking at my team and how to diversify my team whether that was stage managers whether that was designers of course we worked on very low budgets so I made up most of the production team myself yeah of course I called the show <laughs> I did all sorts of things on my own um but yeah so that was namashkar and i did um so i my very first play i did with namashkar was called the infinite line between dating and dying which i wrote and directed and that was about online dating it was about tinder um and then i went on to do om shanti fuck and i met karen core um who had written dollface and she'd come to me with an interest for me to direct dollface and i looked at the narrative of dollface and then i looked at om shanti and, you know, there were there were things in common in, wherein we had these South Asian women talking about subjects that we don't tend to have space or room to talk about mm -hmm. on a very public platform, which was theater. So I put on my producing hat and I said, we should pitch this as a double bill of South Asian female-led work. And that's what we ended up doing. So we had Om Shanti Fak and then we had Dollface kind of featuring as a double bill. So each show was half an hour and it was a one hour show. Um, Om Shanti, where did that come from? So there is the fabulous Sangeeta Pillai who does Masala podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah. She, a couple of years ago, ran a writer's workshop because she was interested. So Sangeeta's work is all about getting South Asian women to talk about taboo subjects. And I will always kind of credit her with running this workshop that I attended because I was interested. And Om Shanti Fuck came out of that. She gave us a series of trigger words and I wrote a series of monologues and then she gave us five minutes to write something. And the first 60 seconds of Om Shanti came out of that workshop. Oh. And then I ended up writing it. Um, it then featured in an event at the Rich Mix. And then I went on to kind of write it longer and then turn it into a stage play. 
and it was brilliant. It was received really, really well. Uh, it got very positive reviews. Uh, I remember I ran a Q&A after one of them when I was at Batsy Art Center and there were two girls who had, I think come from Coventry or Leicester who, who basically said thank you to me and said, we're really grateful that you talked about these subjects on stage and really made us feel like we're not alone in feeling sense in feeling the way that we feel about topics like periods, topics like sex, uh, topics like mental health, abortion, you know, things like that, which is what Om Shanti and Dollface collectively spoke about. Um, and I was really proud of that piece of work. Yeah. Can I ask you a question, which is so sorry. And I think we might have had this conversation in the play reading group. And I'm just interested to know how your process was in writing that. Because for me, and whenever I have classical dancers on here who kind of do um, a juxtaposition of religious contact work with who they are as people, I always find it that you have, like right now is Navratri, right? So you're celebrating the feminine divine, nine days, yeah. female goddesses, and you give such power, such a pedestal to not feminism, maybe not the right word, but the, the female figure yeah. but then at the same time you have this in islam as well like when you're on your period you can't pray or like you can't go into the mosque or the temple and things like that and i i fail to understand this cycle that let's just say in a religious contact is part of our the blessings of humanity and how why that is scrutinized from being labeled as impure in a way yeah to be able yeah. to do that and have you have you figured that out or was that triggering when you were writing it so I definitely I you know I identify as a feminist I think that's been partly due to the fact that I grow I grew up in a female heavy household so there was my mom and I have two sisters so there was four of us and one dad one dad who we've had to work really hard to change his kind of viewpoint on how on what you know the roles of women are or whatever it is having said that my dad I think I'm very grateful that I had the upbringing I had with my parents because I don't think my dad ever treated us uh, differently I think he was a little bit disappointed that he didn't have any sons but at the same time he never brought us up with this notion of okay you finished your studies now you have to get married and have children in <laughs> fact he's quite disappointed that I'm about to get married and he's a bit like ah. um, but anyway that's <laughs> why it's like why no but I think um we were always brought up on this very equal you know kind of status of whatever a man can do you can do as well whether that's getting a job whether that's owning a house whether that's being a CEO you absolutely can do that and I think the similar I've seen similar things with my mom my mom is an educated woman she you know she went she has a BSc and a master's and a PhD and all these things and did a very fabulous job of running a music school as well as bringing up three children and she managed to do those things and was very inspiring and then my paternal grandmother was a working woman so I've seen a lot of strong women growing up and as I got older and older I think being a director and leading companies almost in a very in in a in a way told me from a very early age that I don't need to be a man to do this yes I encounter challenges as a woman but I can absolutely do what I want to do and I think with Om Shanti the thing with me is, is that I am very proud to be Indian. I'm very proud to be a South Asian girl. I'm very proud to, to practice the religion that I practice as well. That doesn't mean to say that the world is really problematic and very patriarchal and very misogynistic. 
So I think when I was writing Om Shanti, I wrote it as a comedy. So it was a comedy piece of writing. And it was one of those pieces where you'd go, ha, 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 that's really funny. But oh, wait, that's really problematic. And personally, I think there's something about in Play Reading Group as well. I think I've mentioned that sometimes when you write things that are very deeply problematic, but you write it as a comedy, it lands in a very different way. People mm. are like, ha, 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 oh dear, no, that is so bad. And I'm laughing at that. <laughs> I feel like it triggers a slightly different sense of reflection on something. I Which think. is a talent to have as a writer, I think. That's good <laughs> yeah, skill. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think it's definitely a skill. And I think some writers do it absolutely brilliantly. So I think when I was writing it, I wanted to write a confident girl who was all of the stereotypes. She was very good at her studies. She goes to the temple. <laughs> She's very obedient. She comes home when her parents tell her to come home, but she has a boyfriend, but she has had sex with her boyfriend before marriage, even though she's been told that. But the whole piece is about how she thinks that God is punishing her yeah. because she's come on her period. And she explores how misogynistic that understanding is of Hinduism. It's not because I did so much research uh, when I wrote this piece. And actually, it's been completely twisted by men. When you look at temples, when you look at other religious places, women don't lead those spaces. It's all men. It's men who are the head priests or the head whatever. There's no women in these spaces. And I think for centuries, and we know this, men are absolutely terrified of women. They are terrified of the fact that we have periods and we carry the next generation of people. We take their seed forward in life without <laughs> us. There isn't, and you know, from this all the way, I did I did a production of The Crucible with an ingenium and I read so much history about the Salem witch trials and what all that was and Joan of Arc and all of this stuff as well. So I I think when I, re when I started to write Om Shanti, I almost wanted to write it very unapologetically. I didn't, I wasn't worried about how people were gonna respond as long as I stayed authentic to experience. So everything I wrote in that was very authentic to different women and different experiences that they've had. And after the show, lots of women, I had a Vietnamese woman, a Nigerian woman, an Irish woman from so many different backgrounds just come up to me and say, this has been my experience, this has been my experiences, and we all have this in common. Women share this commonality mm. of how religion or cultures or structures really want to keep us down. And I think the world is terrified of women uniting, and it's coming, and it's slowly coming, and it's slowly bubbling away, that we are, the moment we come together, that's going to see a whole other world. Yeah. So... And, and men are doing everything they can to prevent that, to prevent that from happening. Um, my own mom says, oh, but it's the women sometimes who, who do this, who bring up boys to be a certain way. And I think, and I keep arguing that it's not the women who do that. It is the structure of the world that needs to be broken. The moment one woman changes the way she brings up her son, the moment we have, we see more moms bringing up feminist sons, the, that's the moment the world is going to shift and the world's going to change. So I already know what kind of mom I'm going to be. So, <laughs> you know, I don't well, know if that answered your questions, but I think I'll wait. Just... I'll wait till you have your kid, and then we'll have this conversation. You'll be like, "No girl will be Let's ever good enough for you. No boy, nothing." <laughs> no, but I, I, I really think that I think it was when I wrote Om Shanti. I just stayed very authentic to experience, and I think the more authentic you are to experience, the less people 
can criticize your work because this is this is based on true accounts of people experiencing different things as women no matter what background you come from here are the challenges that we collectively face and that's what was written into this piece of work so in a nutshell something that i wanted to do over the pandemic to keep my artistic presence online um, it was really great because i got to have some amazing conversations with amazing women all making waves in the different industries that they're working in so that was absolutely a highlight so inspiring uh challenge was my mental health and keeping up being online and the amount of presence you need to have to sell something online um, it was really challenging and i unfortunately didn't end up uh releasing my final um episode for in a nutshell because i think that was extremely hugely challenging being online and keeping my presence online um thara Sarah is incredible. I couldn't have thought of any better organization to stop being a freelancer and go into working organizationally for a bit. Highlight of that is the team that I get to work with, how dedicated we are to the values of our company and making big changes in the sector, in the industry. So that's a big highlight of being a Tara. A challenge for us is its capacity. We're a very small team with a very large ambition. And I think we're working around the clock, but that can be really challenging uh, sometimes. One of my colleagues said yesterday, sometimes it feels like you have to split yourself into three or four people and you can't actually do that. Um, so that's definitely been a little bit challenging uh, with, being, with, with, being part of, uh, with being part of Tara. And I don't think that that's, yeah, that's got nothing to do with the organization. I think the sector's really okay. challenged at the moment with a lot of things. East is East, East is East, highlight of East is East was working with the creative team that I worked with on East is East. Uh, I worked with Iqbal Khan, who is an incredible director. And then the rest of that team, the stage management team, the creative team was one of the biggest highlights. I learned so much more than I ever have on working on any other show on such a large scale. Definitely a wonderful highlight. Challenge of East is East, I think for many of us, it was the first show coming back to after being locked down for a very long time. So I think the challenge of managing that, there was almost like, oh, we're back in and we're just kind of gonna go straight back into how we worked all of this while. But I think it was just negotiating and managing, coming back to something after a big hiatus and you know how to manage that in a rehearsal room and otherwise. Now you're in the industry and you've had a sufficient amount of experiences from the age of even 17 prior, you said you did work. Knowing what you do now, and how the experiences that you've had would you have gone back and still done the same thing or would you have warned yourself and been like damn and did you imagine where you would end up is where you are today and how the industry would have turned out i wouldn't don't be politically correct world. natasha don't no, be no, no i i wouldn't change for the world what i did for young people in Hyderabad yeah uh, and what I did not just for them but for myself how I picked myself up after quite challenging years in school um, and how I really kind of found my mojo I think I I, I kind of found yeah it ignited some sort of confidence in myself and then I was able to kind of share that with so many young people and I can see uh, a lot of people whose lives are very different to what they maybe thought that they were going to be purely because I engaged them in the performing arts. And I think that working in theater has really helped 
helped me myself mentally, has helped who I am as a person today as well, and the change that I want to make in the world, and I do it through this industry. So I wouldn't change that for the world. However, I think in the current, the way that the world is currently, I think the art industry, the arts and cultural industry are really kind of experiencing quite difficult negative knock-on effects and I think in general the arts even though it is huge for what it does for people but it's really it kind of is at the bottom of this a lot funding in terms of salaries in terms of paying in terms of I'm I'm not sure whether I can continue to work in a way that I don't always find is sustainable mm. Like I don't find that it's sustainable for my well-being sometimes. And I don't think that I'm alone in that. I think a lot of people feel like that. I do, I do wish that I was a little bit ahead in terms of my career. I think that's a personal thing. I just put a lot of pressure on myself in terms of where I want to be in my career. But I think where I am is, is pretty, it, it's good to be for somebody who started from a place where I didn't know anyone, never went to drama school here, didn't go to school here. I built a network from scratch. I built kind of who I am and my network from scratch in this industry. And I think I can say that I can be pretty proud of myself and what I'm doing currently and the reaching to the industry currently through my work at Tara and through previous work I've done as a facilitator and a director as well and a writer. And I'm sorry, Rai, I don't have a concrete answer as to whether I would change what I'm doing I think it fluctuates on a day-to-day -day basis whether I did literally say last night I think I should retrain <laughs> I did <laughs> what, say what? that when I when I came home last I don't know maybe I should become a lawyer oh <laughs> retraining a whole different thing yeah sometimes I do have moments where I feel maybe I should have done something else um, but 80% of the time I'm very happy that I pursued what I pursued I'm interested to know, even though we've talked about this, your thoughts on, and you read this question, which is the South Asian theatre and entertainment space in general. I feel like there are brackets of it, topics which in like my 10 years or so, we have continuously talked about, but I don't, I don't know if I see that much of a progression in those topics. And I, after hearing you, talk about it in a lot of podcasts and seeing you in person we talk about it in the play reading group at Dara I just want to know your perspective from working in the industry on these topics which is I think one the boxing that is South Asian theater so South Asian theater companies and the work that they produce versus South Asian plays that are put on in mainstream spaces and will we ever get out of this this sort of dichotomy which is like in order to be in west end or in mainstream spaces sometimes our stories need to have trauma based attached to a historical period based issues even though the story can be universal and then there's a conversation in about like being south asian and not being authentic enough and not having a lot of opportunities where do you sit on all of those topics and do you where do you see us going towards and do you also get boxed because I asked this of cash that do, sometimes as a POC sorry for that word I hate that word sometimes as a, yeah. a person of color director are you limited to the work that you get and do you use that to your advantage or do you just go like there's a lot in there 
but go yeah. for it. You have five minutes. <laughs> I think I'm gonna, I'll just respond to the latter half of your question to begin with. I actively try to sit outside of boxes. I know, I do think that the industry and the world, not just our industry, but I think is, is very tick boxy. Um, I think there's there's a there's a really strong kind of re what's the word like there's a there's a reactivation almost of people really focusing on their identity and who they are and what their background is I think which I think is a good thing but sometimes isn't when it comes to things like oh here's a South Asian piece of work um, and you're a South Asian director and this is what you should be doing I think purely based on the fact that I'm a migrant artist and I've been brought up in such a mixed cultural cultural household. Um, I've never wanted to feel like the only thing I can identify with is South Asian work. And then when I came into this industry, a lot of it was about being British Asian, which is something I couldn't relate to because I didn't grow up in Britain. I sort of sort of said, I can't direct British Asian work because because I'm not British Asian and I don't understand. And as a director, I can maybe get some, I can look at something technically, like I can get a technicality of it right, but I'm all about the heart and the soul of a piece as well. And I need to identify with the work in order to direct to the best of my ability. So I actively looked and sought after plays that or work that didn't necessarily have anything to do with being South Asian, but might've been about a topic that I was interested in. So for example, I worked on a show called It Kind of Looks Like a Donut, which was about female sexual health and female identity. And it was written by a North uh, a, a Nottingham-based writer. And that had nothing, that was just a topic about women and women's issues that I was interested yeah. in. I've worked on another play called Four Stages, uh, which was written by a white male writer. And it was about uh, male friendship and it was about kind of masculinity and things like that which I think is really interesting and it's a really interesting topic to me as a person and I, I worked in a show like that so I I think that uh yes sometimes there's, there's plenty of work happening which isn't about you know here's a South Asian piece of work yeah. so you're a South Asian director <laughs> I think it's about who you are and the kind of work that you identify with as well and I've always been a director who looks for work that I'm interested in directing and it doesn't have to be South Asian. It doesn't have to be a South Asian topic. And I think that's purely how I've actively sought after opportunities, even as assistant, like assistant directing credits, I've not always worked on South Asian work. I've done like other work as well. So yeah, the, the, there's that. And then I think in terms of, I think in terms of the industry, personally, I think we're living in a really, really exciting time. Oh, I, I knew she was going to say that. I knew no, she was I, I, I genuinely, that. genuinely believe that. I think narratives are moving forward. I think writers, there are more writers and I've come across more and more writers, South Asian writers specifically, who are writing just brilliant, brilliant work, which isn't about being, which isn't about it's not about the typical trauma that you've seen in previous work. This is different. This is a different kind of trauma. These are contemporary, these are more contemporary topics. I've come across so many. I mean, we've come across so many in our South Asian mm. play reading group, even your own piece that you brought in. There is some incredible work and there's a huge, huge movement of writers who are just doing, writing more work, not about trauma and not about history. I think we do contend with finding the balance of what the existing canon of South Asian work is, which is about the history, um, you know, about partition, about migration, 
And I think it's because yes, we, a lot of us are interrogating why we're here, why we're in Britain. And I think that that's an active interrogation that's currently ongoing because of a lot of political things that are happening in the world and in Britain at the moment. Um, I don't know if our generation does. I feel like all of these productions that continuously put on these projects again and again, it's a, it's a narrative that we should be escalating from. Yeah, I agree with you, right? I think, I think a lot of organizations are still playing it safe. And I think they need to, they need to stop going, this is the formula that works. These are the stories that work when it comes to programming South Asian work. I think uh, more artistic programmers need to be braver, not braver, that's not the right word. They just need to stop. Experimental. Yeah, they need to, exactly. They need to be a bit more experimental with who they're commissioning and what work they're taking on. They need to stop taking on just one piece of work that is South Asian and stop. I think I think there's an unfair pressure for companies that identify as global majority companies or South Asian companies to give all of the opportunities to South Asian writers. I think that that's not okay. That's I think too more much. organizations need to go into co-production, need to have conversations with South Asian companies about how how to commission more work and how to stop playing it safe, how to experiment with form, how to experiment with ideas, how to experiment with stories. It shouldn't just be the responsibility of a South Asian company to take it on. And yes, I think we need to stop playing it safe because I don't think a lot of contemporary writers who are expanding the current canon, they're not playing it. They're not writing those things anymore. They're writing different things and more companies need to just, yeah, stop hiding behind <laughs> the formula that works. There's a new, there's a new generation of writers. There are existing writers who are writing something different yeah. as well. They need to trust that. They need to, they need to give us more space to experiment, which they don't do. And that's what, that's what we're, that's what we need. But why is, I fail to understand this always now. And I think I'm finding this answer really, really sometimes like programming in a theater, man, oh man, theater, First, why is theatre so... It's the best place, I think, to be creative, to be juicy, to be experimental, and it's live and it's reactive, like all of the things that you want. But at the same time, it's it's such a financial gamble, not gamble, but like a risk for, yeah. from an organization perspective, but also as being a creative in that field. And I'm just like, there has to be an answer to it. There has yeah. to be a financial answer to, because like, this is insane. No, I agree. I think, I think there's so much more money and so much more finance in television because that's purely based on reach because something on the TV can reach hundreds and hundreds of people. Whereas I think we're challenged with the fact that we have a show on for three weeks and we or two weeks and we've got to sell these many tickets mm. and the tickets need to be priced in a way where people can access it, where the right people can afford it. There's so much, so much ongoing. And I think I think TV is a lot more experimental. TV is a lot more open. The stuff that we're seeing on TV, the stories that are on TV are, are a lot more, yeah, there's just, it's exciting. And I think you're, you hit the nail on the head. I think theater, I don't know what the solution to this is, but we do absolutely need to find a solution because it's a lot more financially. The risk is far bigger in theater, which then it's sort of, it's such a vicious cycle of how we get trapped then in just doing what works as opposed to allowing um, us to experiment and also broaden out and expand audiences and who's coming to see this work as well. And also traditional theater, we need to experiment with traditional forms of theater. How do we keep up with 
technology in an ever-changing world landscape where people don't have the capacity to sit for an hour and a half mm-hmm. and concentrate on something that's just purely so many more people we're doing so much more video projection and design and all of these really just to keep people engaged as well I don't have the answer to it but I do agree with you it's I think this is my yeah. thing and I whenever I have a theater person on I'm like I feel like all of the bloody theaters need to get on a platform and it needs to be like the new version of Netflix or Prime (laughs) just for theater and I think like it it would like I understand that there's nothing like live theater but that's a bracket that you could make revenue off of and I think all of the bloody theaters need to get on this shit and put aside whatever it is and put money into a pot and invest into like I don't know six seven production companies and like how national theater at home is it needs to consist of every regional theater and everything like that and it just needs to be yeah I'm sorry (laughs) I'm on the I'm on the fence a little bit about live theater versus streamed theater but it's a revenue man like think about it it's a revenue at the end of the day like if I wanted to see a play that's happening in Chicago and I don't have like connection like I'm not spending I don't know a thousand quid to go to Chicago stay there and whereas I can pay 10 quid and watch that play and still be affected by it and still and then create a relationship possibly with the writer or the actor or publicize that like if you think about it from that scheme of things then it's much more impactful than that's my yeah no I think you make a fair point I think it's it's sort of the what yeah absolutely the kind of how do you financially sustain something versus theater versus the knowledge the, the novelty and the power of the art form of live theater yeah so because that's that that's what makes theater unique and different to other art forms right is that it happens right in front of you but you're right I don't know I, I I'm on the fence about it so yes I know you've said this plenty of times <laughs> you're not on the fence about the bloody zoom thing as well Okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you some quick question and then we're going to play a game so you can have some time off. Okay, so these need to be like rapid, rapid answers. Your first memory of the arts that impacted your decision to carve a career in the entertainment industry. Do you remember like watching this film or like watching a piece of theatre and you were like, I could do that shit and I'm going to do that shit. Yeah, it was it was watching The Lion King at the Lyceum Theatre in 1999 when I was nine years old now I've given away how old I am (laughs) eight years old give a shit give a shit three things this industry could do with and without uh this industry could do with more money (laughs) uh honesty being brutally honest about decision making and more equal equitable opportunities for representation uh what it could do without is tokenism uh people not putting their money with their mouth is the people just saying things for the sake of saying things and using buzzwords um so again just saying things for the sake of saying things so you can get money in but not actually use the money for what you buzzworded it for (laughs) hey i like this i see i just need to ask you like rapid questions now directing journey from then to now what is one thing that you have learned from your first production to now one thing i have learned is that whatever you do, as long as you do it with integrity and honesty, you will get you will get the best outcome of what you want of what you wanted. I don't know if that makes sense. So what I've yeah. learned is that the more genuine I am and the more in, 
you know, the, the amount of integrity and honesty I put into my work, whether that's with the creative team or whether that's with the actors and whether that's with the storytelling, whatever that outcome is, will reflect that. And that's what I did when I very much first started. And that's something I still continue to do today. And I think feedback or reviews um, or the way audiences have responded has shown me that that, that works. A thing from AD to directing that you miss and you don't miss. Okay, thing from AD to directing that I miss or don't miss. I'm sorry, I don't miss anything about assistant directing. I, I, I don't. I... <laughs> In fact, it, it felt a bit like running my theater coming in Hyderabad for five years <laughs> and then leading Taking that as back. like as like an artist. I, at the time, I didn't know that what I was doing was actually leading as an artistic director. I just yeah. was leading this company. And then it almost felt like a backtrack to being an assistant director. But I understand that because I started at the bottom of the pile moving to the industry here, of course. But I don't miss anything about being an assistant director. I'm sorry, I really don't. <laughs> um... And I hated it. in fact, I hated it. No, I, I didn't hate it. I just thought, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't miss it. Oh, maybe actually I miss, uh, no, I don't miss anything. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't miss anything about being an assistant director. Uh, and one thing, yeah, is that, did I answer that, your question? That, that is fine. When do you think you, oh, I have sometimes trouble owning titles. Where was the moment for you where you were like, okay, I'm a director. I'm an artistic director, I'm a writer, I'm a performer, like all of these things. Do you remember definitive moments of owning those titles? Or you, you come across, by the way, as a very confident person, or I don't know, or it's whenever we have a conversation. So I want to know who the hell, where do you get this also from too? <laughs> okay, uh, cool. Um, that's really nice. Thank you for saying that. Uh, I want to really quickly tell you a story, actually. Um, I was working at this drama school um, last year and there were there were some like quite quite challenging issues in the room and yeah. uh, I was working as a freelancer and I spoke to this person who was my movement assistant movement director uh, about kind of trying to figure out what to do about it like do I take it to management who do I talk to about this issue that's been raised in the room and she said to me and I'll never forget it she sort of said to me well you seem like a very empowered woman maybe you should go maybe you should go into the room and say something to this group of students and i sort of thought huh that's that's thank you that's really nice and i think um where does my confidence come from i tell you what right i was you will never believe this but i was a very quiet don't say it don't say very it very introverted do it. very shy teenager my confidence comes from i feel like it, it's something i work on every day uh, I feel like what I, what I, why I'm in what I do, what I'm in it for is really genuine. I genuinely want to change people's lives and I genuinely want people to be inspired and, and to make their life that one bit better just by being in theater, just by doing a show, by telling a story, by writing something. And I feel like as an, as, as an artistic leader or as a director, there's not a lot of people who look like me who have yeah. my experience, who come, who are from India, who've come, you know, who sort of have a migrant story, artist storytelling. And I just feel like I, I want to be the person that I longed to see when I was growing up in an in, in industry to be, to be that person. I just want to be that person for other people so that they can see me in a room and sort of go, oh, well, she's doing it. And she's a South Asian woman, or she's a South Asian migrant artist woman or whatever, all of these multiple labels are. If she can do it, I can do it. But I want a lot to be of pressure. 
like I used to pressure. think like that but then I like when you have like failures or rejections or chips I think that's like that's a village that you are carrying on your back and sometimes that adds more because then you're chipped as a person yeah and I'm still trying to find the balance of that negotiation where do I draw boundaries where I just choose myself and where do I keep keep doing <laughs> it for the greater good and I I haven't worked out the solution to that I want to you know I also I'm very picky and choosy about who I speak to and who actually sees this part of me. Oh, and I, I like can talking. Tell. I like I talking tell. to you. And I think, you know, I think I've, I've, you know, we've had multiple conversations where we've had a lot of things in common in terms of our journey, yeah. in terms of our upbringing as well, spending time in different countries and then coming, coming here. And it's a battle. There are some days where I'm just not in the mood. And sometimes it is a mask. I do put on a mask and I do, uh, I kid you not, I warm up before I come into the South Asian Palladian group. I spend some time just kind of going. <sighs> and then I'm like, hello, everyone. Um, <laughs> My favorite I, bit is when you do the speech. <laughs> about why we do the South Asian Palladian. About why you do it. But more than anything will be the email. <laughs> just the email. email oh my god just read the email listen <laughs> listen bitches who would like to attend all you mother out there who would like to attend the thara play reading group the play reading group will always go ahead unless there's an email saying no okay my emails don't say that that's probably quoted from me <laughs> but yeah it is i try and give as much information as i can possibly can to everybody read the emails people read just, the emails. yeah just spend some time reading emails but yeah no it is i i wear multiple masks and yeah. i think you do as a creative i think you do as a woman i think you do as a director as a female director I change my masks on a daily basis. There are very, you know, there are days, and this is why I remember I told you I don't work on a Sunday. It is the one day yeah. I sit in a corner in a dark room with no sound, no light. And I'm just like recovering from, there are days where I'm like, how have I gone into an industry which requires me to talk to so many people on a regular basis every day, all day. And then there are days where I'm like, this is outside my comfort zone, but I'm so good at it. Yeah. And I need to, I need to keep going and I need to keep doing it. It's, it is, it's hard, but that, how do you make a change? If, if I, if I choose to not do it, you know, I, I don't want to wait for that next person. I want to put my money where my mouth is. This is what I want to see. This is what I want to see change. And so I'm going to put on that mask and pick up the strength wherever I can to push forward my own opinion. It's taken a lot of work. It's taken yeah. a lot of work and multiple back pain injuries and migraines to psych myself up to say something in a room, to be heard in a room. And it's an ongoing thing. It's an ongoing battle, but I won't stop and I won't be quiet. And if I disagree with something, I will I will say, say what I need to say. But I think otherwise, how are you going to see the change? I, I generally think that comes with experience and empowerment because, yeah, which is a question I love to ask and I'll ask at the end. But let's just play some games quickly. Okay. Let's play some quick games. The game sections are called... Super Child, play with Rai. Which means <laughs> you either play with Rai when you want to answer or you sip your chai when you don't want to answer. And there's several segments in this game, so I will try to be very quick as I can. The first segment is called If I Was. So if I was to say to you, if you, like if I was a color, what would I be? You'd say blah, blah, blah. Everything has to be original, okay? Don't recycle. If I was a film, what would the title of the film be? 
Oh my God. Uh, oh, that would be the title of the film. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> okay. What would the storyline be of Oh My God? Go, five, four, three, two, one. Small town girl from a small time town in India who goes on to be the first South Asian female director to win an Oscar. Okay, down. What would the title theme song or soundtrack of this film be called? Oh my God. In five, four, three, two, one, go. I want to scream. I want to shout. It's an original song. It's an original song. You can't just. Oh my take God. On. I, how, you want me to make up an original song? Okay. You have to. Just five, a, four, three, two, one. Just a small time Indian girl trying to make waves in the world. <laughs> it rhymes. Nice. I'm, it's very Disney. Um, who would star in it? Name three actors who would star in it. Okay, Maya Three Ramakrishnanan is it that her surname? She's from Never Have I Ever. She's from Never Have I Ever. That show by Mindy Kaling. Okay, got it. Uh, Vidya Balan. Oh. And uh, Henry Golding. <laughs> Not Eddie Raymond. <laughs> not any red <laughs> <laughs> if i was a color what would i be orange if i was a fashion or clothing trend what would i be go hoodies and denim jackets if i was a dessert what would i be tiramisu if i was a drink what would i be a mimosa if i was a holiday destination what would i be rome if i was a plant or a flower what would i be a banyan tree <laughs> oh if i was an eau de perfume what would the three notes consist of uh jasmine lavender and neroni i shouldn't have picked the middle finger as the third finger but okay <laughs> all right what would you rather be rich or famous rich what would you rather have critical acclaim or award-winning portfolio critical acclaim what would you rather west end or regional regional first thing, first thing that comes into your head you think Sorry. too much regional <laughs> First, uh, what would you rather, film, TV, or theater? Film. Don't. I, it's fine. I think maybe that's why I don't get the theater jobs because I keep talking about how I want to get into. <laughs> but I was sorry. Was your question what would I rather be working in, or what would I rather? No, just what would you rather, and people can interpret that as whatever they want. Okay, then film. Yeah, but it it can mean personal preference. Like, what would you rather? Yeah. With? You know what I mean. Film. Um, <laughs> yeah. What would you rather, Netflix or Prime? Netflix. All right. This next section is called most underrated and overrated. Most underrated and overrated piece of theatre that you have ever seen. Go. Oh, my God. Uh, underrated. Uh, this is going to sound really biased, but I'm going to say. Silence. Silence. <laughs> most, it's underrated. I felt like it was underrated. I think. Yeah. Underrated. Uh, overrated piece of theatre. Um, uh, oh my god I don't know this is really hard I hate when people try to be politically correct I know I know I'm trying to I'm trying to I just see so much stuff overrated in the last uh, year you have I feel like I've seen a lot of overrated theater I know but it's I just I'm trying <laughs> you don't want me you don't want me to be politically correct but so I don't want to I can't answer that okay <laughs> fine whatever <laughs> most overrated and underrated advice somebody ever gave to you overrated advice somebody ever gave to me is just relax don't take tension why are you taking tension just oh wow, that's me that's rude <laughs> i think that that's very overrated because it's really hard to just relax okay, uh, cool. underrated underrated piece of advice is choosing yourself choose yourself no matter how hard it is Good. Most overrated and underrated director. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, 
The point is also to get you in trouble. I know, but I don't want to get into trouble <laughs> at the moment. You're going into film anyway. Who gives a shit? Underrated director, Natasha Kathy Chandra. Oh, overrated. Overrated director. Oh, I don't want to get into trouble, Rye. I can't I? answer that okay, question. How about, this? how about this? I'll list five directors you have worked with and you just point to a number and that will be the overrated director. Hey. No, I'm joking. I'm going to do that. <laughs> I, can't. I do have an answer to that, but I absolutely Okay, do. how about this? Can you at least give it to me once I've stopped recording? Yes. Okay, pinky promise. Pinky promise. Okay, cool. All right. This next section is called the creative round. You're a writer, a director, and a singer, and so many other things. But I'm going to basically, for your writing hat, which we didn't get to talk so much about, so I'm sorry about that. But okay. we, I, I will ask you your approach to writing and directing at the end. I'm going to give you some trigger words. You have five seconds to come up with a storyline, okay? Oh my God, okay. <laughs> you got this, this is, you're a writer, you can do this. This okay. is how Om Shanti fuck came. So- It's very who, true. Actually. Who knows yeah. what comes out of this? Okay, so make a story out of these three words in five seconds. Okay, I'll list the words and I'll give you five seconds. Sand, pickle, nose ring. I'm going to do five and then you tell me the story. Five, four, three, two, one, go. <clears throat> Vidya was, a sad and lonely girl. She, all she did was her life every day was she had to make a jar of pickle for her mother-in-law almost to prove her worth. So one day she went out to the back garden to pluck the mangoes, to make the mango pickle. As she was doing this, she came across a scent, a sudden burst of wind and it was full of sand. And some of it got caught in her hair and some of it got caught in her clothes. And so she had to blow her nose and she did that. Her nose <laughs> flew out of her nose. <laughs> and she thought, why am I even wearing this fucking nose ring? <laughs> I just, ah. Uh... Anyway, so she followed the sand out and it took her down by the sea. And when she looked beyond the ocean, she saw a bright orange light coming towards her. Great. Will she walk towards it? Will she not? Oh! <laughs> There were three of the trigger words, but I mean, it's a good story. I mean, like I can give you another one, but I have to move on to song now. You're a singer as well. And I asked you to make a theme tune for Chai with Rice. So how's that going? The one about being a small town Indian girl. No, I asked you for a specific because we've rescheduled this interview 600 times. I said, that's fine. As long as you sing me a theme tune for my, for my thing. And it has to be original. Yes. Copyrights. Okay, copyright. It's okay. Uh, you don't have to do it now. Just think about it and send me the audio format with everything. I will do that. Yeah. Okay. Sure. But you have to make an original song, just like you did a story, through these three trigger words. Okay. Ready? Okay. Sanctuary, wig. What? <laughs> and either you can have politics or juxtapose. You you want me to make an original song with sanctuary, wigs, and juxtapose or or politics yeah yeah make it a pop song so the people are like yeah <laughs> ready in five sing it as well four warm up <laughs> warm up your vocal cords three oh, I, uh, two one this is an original song but natasha go 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 i wake up in the morning and i do my hair i put on a wig and my my makeup glass <laughs> 
today I'm gonna go down to the studio. The studio is my sanctuary. The studio is where I have juxtaposing thoughts about politics, about history, about identity. Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? <laughs> Beautiful song coming to Spotify near you. Move over, Sam Smith. All right. This is for your director hat. Who am I? I, I don't even know. I just went with where my brain flowed. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This is just a simple, which one would you rather direct? Okay. <clears throat> would you rather direct a, a play about a retired horse rider who now moonlights as a political auditor whilst taking care of his five wives? Or would you rather direct a TV show about a world which is full of sand, which used to be London, and the story is about finding a vessel that will reverse biology to regrowth humans in this land. And it is a musical, but it's a but also the dancing in it, which is the focal point, is a mixture of martial arts and South Asian ballet. That one. <laughs> <laughs> I would rather direct that. <laughs> okay, well, look out for that there you. This conversation I like to ask everybody, well, I ask this to every single person, the questions that I'm asking you, which is, <laughs> will I die tonight? <laughs> oh dear. I feel like the pillars of what make a confident person are either their grit, who they have as a person, their conviction that can be accumulated of experience or they've just been born with that, their support, that could be mental, emotional, financial through friends or family and their faith. So religion, whatever it mm -hmm. is, spirituality. If you remove all of those things. So if I remove like accolades, your, you know, we chip certain things down. Would you continue to be who you are as a person today and doing the work that you're doing? I think I would find it quite challenging to be the person I am if I were to remove those things. I think my experience of, and my power of conviction has, without the experience I've had, I wouldn't be able to be this person. I wouldn't be able to be where I was and who I am without the support I've had from my family, without the support I've had from, from various people in my life, my, my, my husband, my friends, people like that. Um, and I think, yeah, without the pillar of religion and my spirituality, um, it would be really hard to be who I was. I think I would just be a shell of a person without those pillars that I've definitely, yeah, that's where I've drawn on for my strength. That's where I've drawn on for my resilience and for my power to keep going, to keep wanting to go. Peaks and Valleys is a question about, um, peak is a high point of your personal professional life. What was it? What lesson you learned from it? <clears throat> a valley is a low point of your personal professional life but was it what lesson you learned from it so a peak in my professional life is I think it was working um with all the work I did as a facilitator with young people I would say that that was definitely a peak so the the, the community work and the outreach work that I've done with young people and uh groups of vulnerable of vulnerable people in the community would definitely uh, and that's stemming from all the work that I did in India and then using that experience to be able to do that here in this sector as well has definitely been a peak I think I've learned a lot about experiences and it's really kind of fed into how I approach work and the stories I want to tell as well so that's definitely been a peak in my 
professional life, a peak in my personal life has been an ability to cut out toxic people from my life and keep a very selective group of people in my life, people who I can trust and be able to to be able to just kind of have people who, who respect me and love me for who I am and allow me to be myself. So that's been a peak, cutting out all the toxicity toxicity from my life. That um, a valley in... Did I also say what lesson you learned from it now? You oh, lesson I learned from it. The lesson I learned from it is, I think I said what I learned from the peak of professionally. Okay. I think yeah. it's, it's you know, it's how you, yeah, what's happening in the world, the real, realities of what's happening in the world and how you look at your own privilege compared to these groups of people that you work with and how you interrogate that. Uh, the lesson I learned from cutting, from keeping, I think quality over quantity mm. is definitely a big lesson I learned from that. So it's not about how popular you are. It's not about how, like having hundreds of friends. It's about the quality of the few friends that you have. So that was definitely a really good, uh, a lesson, a lesson of that valley. Um, a valley in my professional life. You can do personal or professional, by the way. Personal or professional. A valley in my personal life, I would say something I'm still working on, something I'm still uh, trying to work past as an adult because I have a lot of, you know, a lot of my behavior comes from that is my experience of being in school, um, in secondary school specifically. I had a really uh, difficult time in school. I was bullied. I It wasn't, it was a really, really difficult time. But I think uh, what I learned from that is how to pick yourself up as an individual and how to, I think it's fed into the, the peak of who you share your time with and who you give mm. your time with and really working on and it's still a work in progress but really valuing who you are what you give as a person and yeah. managing your expectations how to expect the least from people and not kind of expect that just because you give it a hundred percent they're going to give you a hundred percent back yeah. is what I learned and it's still it's it's I won't say I've learned I, I would say I'm learning I'm still learning that and still learning how to respond um and and the way I feel as an adult about certain things I'm still working on managing what that valley in my personal life was is and how it's impacting me what words of wisdom would you give to yourself today if you look in the mirror just today gray hair really suits you so don't dye your hair uh don't give into the pressures women don't should have gray hair it looks really sexy and you got this well and with this question ultimate give what's your ultimate give you know when certain actors are like oh when I have an Emmy for my work I'll be that do you think about that or not really you're just or maybe it's a state of mind or something like that that you're you mind if I start eating my lunch by the way go for it now you have a, you have chat in like nine minutes so my lovely my lovely mum warmed up all my lunch hello auntie I hope you're doing well Oh, hi. How are you? <laughs> I'm okay, thank you. How are you? I'm good. Do you like the London cold weather and how miserable it is? <laughs> well, it's only just become more miserable today. It's been quite pleasant otherwise. Was it nice it yesterday? Nice. Oh, yeah. fair enough. It was okay, okay yesterday. So there was there was a moment, there was a time in my life where I was really determined. I was counting down years that by this Academy Award, because originally I was going to wanted to go into film, yeah but by the 90th academy awards i'm going to be the first south asian female director to win an oscar for either best original screenplay or best director yeah and i had that at the beginning this was when i was younger as i've started to get older i'm less and less about 
this, I have to win this or do this in order for me to feel like I'm fulfilled or that I'm happy. And mm. I think that that's something that I'm working on. Um, sometimes my husband asks me a lot, if you won the lottery, what would you do with the money? And my standard response to, he, he asks me this every so often. And my standard response to it is, I'm, I will make a show. <laughs> I just want this huge, gigantic budget to make this huge, gigantic show. Not a house, not nothing. No, No, my reaction is all, and it's the immediate thing that comes out. I just want to make a show. I just want this unlimited budget to make this big, big show. But I don't think, I think I'm working less and less on having this, this sort of, I think it's unfair pressure to put myself under that I have to achieve this. Yeah. This one thing. And actually to take a step back and actually look at all of the lives that I have impacted and all of the work that I have done with, with the resources and the tools and sometimes without the resources and tools and I'm still where I am. I think happiness is a state of, it is, it's about, it's, you, have, you, have to look, you have to look into yourself and still, and humble yourself a little bit. I think sometimes we set these really high finish lines for ourselves these really far away finish lines yeah and I think and I think that makes it near impossible to be happy and be satisfied so I don't think I currently have a once I do this kind of thing yeah just an unlimited budget okay we have to end with this because I have to do this with you it's a rant section everybody loves a rant okay Mm -hmm. we love a rant so you basically get 30 seconds to do a rant on anything that you want to do in the world however you have to either end or start with the words bitch don't are you ready have you got something in mind (laughs) yeah (laughs) okay four three two go bitch don't why are men in charge of this world they have they are so insecure they have little brains they project the only thing that makes men in charge is that they are slightly stronger than us come on where is that female scientist who's going to find a way to make babies without sperm five so yeah women need to take over men are the worst bitch don't their big babies well everyone that brings us to an end and i hope you enjoyed that i want to say a massive thank you to the guest for their time all of the information about the guest myself and the show will be listed in the bio make sure to follow share comment and subscribe show us all some love because isn't that what we want at the end of the day some love your support really helps the show and the message of it grow and the people that are on here thank you again and as i always say breathe in breathe out I must go, which means now I must go. I own that. That is copyrighted and I will sue. (laughs) Joking. Have a great one and stay curious till next time.